You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. So you got it. Oh, is that your Nancy Pelosi doll, Mickey? It is. And what's, what's that she has in her hand, Bob? It's kind of a small doll, but is that a whip? I don't know. It could be a whip or it could Am be Am I reading split, too much? Could be split this. reins. Spl- uh, split reins, the kind that are used to treat migrants harshly at the border. What is this a reference to? Well, it's a double reference, Bob. It's a reference to the border, and it's also she's whipping the votes in the in the House, obviously. Duh. Wow. You know, you ask, what do this people is, get if they tune in and listen to us? And, and right there you have it. It's this, like is just power, this is a powerful image, Bob. Genius. And, and also, she's promised that there's a framework, and I have a framework, too, as you can see. Yeah, that's uh, a frame. That's a frame. It, it's a it's, kind of a big frame for a doll that size, but and it's, y- it, and it's it's empty, which many people think that Pelosi's framework is. Um, the weird thing about this infrastructure bill, which is sort of coming to a head now, so I think I'm allowed to talk about it for a minute, mm. is, uh, you know, she the moderates forced her to do this deadline where you vote on the small bill that everyone likes on Monday. This the coming hard, Monday, the hard, the bipartisan hard infrastructure bill, right? And then the soft, squishy, bloated, three point uh, five liberal wishless bill. Yeah, sorry, three point five trillion dollar bill. Which I, but but just just to interject, isn't that a little more to your liking than it used to be? Now that, as I understand it, the House parliamentarian or somebody has ruled that you can't include amnesty in it. Yes, it's it's there. There are two big things I'm worried about in the bill. The other one being helping poor people with children. Am I right? The other one being sending checks to to uh, mothers who don't work and parents who don't work and recreating the underclass. So yes, that, that that's still in there, but the immigration thing appears to be out. Uh, they're going to make another try at it. Uh, but there was an article in Vox about it, about how they can come back. And it wasn't very convincing. Come, come back on amnesty. Yeah. I mean, they, they could, they could propose a narrower provision, a narrower bill that maybe, uh, maybe we'll meet with the parliamentarians approval. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a some weird provision called the registry, which says that if you came before 1972, uh, you, you're you're home free. You can become a citizen. OK, I didn't even know that existed, but they can update that to, you know, 2020 and amnesty everybody practically. Uh, and they, the argument is if they then charge people five thousand dollars a head, they can claim it has a budgetary impact. I mean, it, it's probably not going to fly, but. They're, you know, the, the, Wait, they charge the immigrants? Yeah. Who have been here? Yeah. And it's like an amnesty fee. Yeah. That's the proposal from this I guy, would think Leon you'd be Fresco, in favor of who's, that. You who's know? the Svengali of Chuck Schumer. Hmm. Well, they pay, pay, they pay, uh, they pay coyotes 10 or $20,000, so 5000 doesn't seem to be prohibitive. Uh, the, uh, but no, I'm not for it, obviously. Uh, nah. but, um, anyway, but, uh, so my assumption was that Pelosi would, and the assumption of all these commentators who said, oh, this Monday deadline isn't important. Pelosi can get around it a hundred different ways. Uh, the moderates want nothing. It turns out, surprisingly, she's honoring it suddenly. She claims she's going to have a vote on Monday on the small bill. On the hard, uh, hard infrastructure. And, and, and uh, that may be because Kirsten Sinema said, told Biden, if you don't vote on the small bill, I'm through with reconciliation. And if she really meant it, 
that's an ultimatum that carries some weight. Plus, Biden would like the small bill. So her her new stra- the, the problem with the small bill is then the progressives worry correctly that then the moderates will lose interest in the big bloated bill. So uh, Pelosi's strategy is to pretend to also pass the big bloated bill next week, which nobody thinks she has time to do. But she's going to try to finesse it and say, oh, it's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. So the progressives won't vote against the small bill. So the small bill will pass. And then who the hell knows what happens. I assume that what she'll do is she will not send the small bill to Biden for his signature. She'll, she'll, she'll sit on it, just do nothing and sort of hold it hostage until the big bloated bill passes. That's. That seems to be her strategy, and as we know, she never fails, Bob. That's what everybody thinks. Um. Okay, so wait a second. I'm not sure I grasped all that. But, I mean, on the one hand, you seem to think that once the hard bill passes, the Democrats are going to have trouble passing the soft bill. What, unless she plays hardball and refuses to send it to Biden? Is that it? Well, that's part of it, and, and it, 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 it's all weird because also as part of the agreement with the progressives, she said she would clear it with the Senate first. So she's really got to get Manchin and Cinema on board uh, with For the, the whole thing bill. by 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 next week. I don't think so. So uh, why is next week the deadline again? Well, she just said she's going to bring it to the floor next week. Uh, well, what if, she, what if she changes her mind and says it's the well, week she'll after? Change her mind. Most people think. Well, she's then why gonna... are we even talking about that as if it's a deadline? I mean, because she is promoting it as a way to con the progressives into voting for the small bill. I That's, see. She's trying to say, don't worry, progressives, we'll do the big bill too. See, we're, I'm doing it on Friday. It's just around the corner. It's, right. it's hell happening. So these, and, these, uh, are, these are progressives who originally said, we're not voting on hard infrastructure unless there's a rock-solid linkage to right. the soft infrastructure. Right. And they the didn't basic, get that. The basic uh, reality, I think, is if Pelosi really read the progressives, the riot act, they would enough of them would would vote for it. But it's not clear that Now, there's also the possibility that they don't, uh, the progressives don't vote for it, but there are enough Republicans to vote for it. And I would think that's tempting for the Republicans. There's a lot of stuff in hard infrastructure you'd like to be able to take credit for in your, your, you know, uh, before your voters. And if the Republicans, wait, see if I have, let me see if I have this right. If the Republicans, uh, vote for hard infrastructure, does that give the moderate Democrats more leverage in negotiations over soft infrastructure so that totally. bill winds up being more to the liking of Republicans? Yes. Well, then yes. why? Then I would think there's a lot of Republicans who would vote for hard infrastructure well, and the progressives actually have very little leverage. You would think, and you would think, as, as Matty Glazer said, they would totally own the libs if they all voted for it. But there are a couple of factors against it. One is Trump is Trump has stupidly said, I'm against it, so I order you to vote it down, and some people seem to be obeying him. Second, people like the National Review think that it would really, uh, that if they don't vote for it, the whole thing might collapse and Biden will be humiliated. I don't think that'll happen. And, and they, they just don't want to help out Biden. So there's a divergence between what you want for the country, which is clearly to vote for it and water down the big bill, uh, and what you want politically, which is to harm Biden. And with all due respect, Mickey, with all due respect, stand. with all due respect, that seemed like a pretty naive thing for you to say, that they're torn between the good of the country on the one hand. I mean, give me a fucking break. These people, it's total 100% self-interested calculation. 
These people are almost completely worthless public servants, right? The Nasher View is a magazine of ideas, like the New Republic. Oh, so they said they put it that way. They said the 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 countries they're torn between what's good for no, the country. No, I'm no, but they but they they clearly would would rather have a a a a better big bloated bill than a worse big bloated bill. Yeah, but that's not for the good of the country. It isn't. I, mean, I don't know. They 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 profess to be idealistic. The the problem so they can, is, from no. my point of view. Is yeah. I think it's best for the Republicans if they vote for the small bill, but I also think it's best for Pelosi. And since it's a zero-sum game, how can that be true? Why is it good for Pelosi if it's a – you're saying if it's a narrower hard infrastructure because, bill or n- narrower soft infrastructure? No, just to vote for the hard bill. Oh, if it's a close bill. vote. Uh, sorry? You're saying if it's a close vote, that's good for Pelosi? No, it's good to pass it. It's good to have a yes well, yeah. vote. Yeah, it's yeah. good for her to pass it. Because Look, it, it gives Biden an accomplishment. And I think right. Biden, if that's all Biden gets, he's fine. No, He doesn't Look, need the big bill. Non-zero sum games are totally possible here. All of these people have one thing in common. They are incumbents and want to get reelected. In fact, what they have to worry about, I think, eventually, if they keep demonstrating such you know incapacity in terms of actually getting useful stuff done is the lose-lose side of the non-zero-sum game, which is that eventually, someday, God willing, voters just say, screw all of you. We're voting all of you out of office, and whoever comes in next better get some shit done. This is ridiculous. I mean, do you realize, for example, right now, uh, Biden, now this is a more partisan thing, but it's a good example of, of government, you know, gridlock. You know, he can't staff... Uh, half of the State Department because Ted Cruz and maybe Josh Hawley has a hold on various people just out of spite. They're just crippling the Biden foreign policy apparatus because our government lets some asshole like Ted Cruz do that. I assume and, that they have a reason for their spite, not that it justifies it. But. Oh, yes. Showing off, getting reelected. God, no, you're naive. The, you think the, you think Ted Cruz wants anything other than power, Mickey? His last moment of principle was at the Republican convention where he briefly stood up against Trumpism and, and he spent the, the next four years giving Trump oral sex. I mean, he is I do totally think, I do th- without I do think, principle. I do think, uh, uh, I, I do think that the system is crazy, but, uh, but usually there is a, a reason other than pure spite, but I'm not sure you're right about zero sum because both parties want power to enact their agenda. And that is a zero-sum game. Isn't it possible, just you tell me, you're the game theory expert here. Isn't it possible that if the Republicans realize, well, uh, there's this, you know, the risk-averse thing is to pass the bill, and the Democrats realize the risk-averse thing is to pass the bill, it could be in both their interests if you take into account the probabilities of a, of a, risky good outcome and a risky bad outcome, that they're both being cautious. I mean, you're right that there are all kinds of zero-sum dynamics here, but yeah, that is a non-zero-sum dynamic. They could all be right that they will be reelected by all doing the same thing. No, but Pelosi does not care about being reelected. She wants to preserve power in the White House, and the Republicans don't care about being reelected. They also care about gaining power in the White House. It's not just reelection. You can't take that out. 
That doesn't get you out of the zero-sum problem. Well, that's why it's complicated. There's a mixture of motives, but there's plenty of Republicans in the Congress who forced to choose between staying in office and getting a Republican elected president next time will choose to stay in office. There's a strong incentive to get reelected. That's not a radical statement from political science, just like kind of some news flash. Yeah. Well, at this point, the Republicans are convinced they're going to retain power, so they want to retain the majority, but they don't necessarily care about ousting Biden. You're right at the, at this point. So, uh, if, if the, I, you know, there was a very, uh, sort of, it's the piece you don't want to have written about you if you're president, Susan Glasser, Glasser, Glasser or Glazer in the New Yorker saying, Glasser. it's too early to throw Biden onto the ash heap of history. Well, I didn't realize that Biden was close to being thrown onto the ash heap of history. So if Susan <laughs> Glazer is his biggest defender, Defending him against this, he's in trouble. I mean, but, I can I can see him winning re-election with a bump a bumper sticker that says "Not dead, Biden, not dead yet." Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I only drool half the time. Yeah, that's yeah. Something, something like that. The um, but Glazer thinks, or whatever her name is, Glasser Glazer thinks Glasser. that mm-hmm. if 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 Biden doesn't pass both bills, he's toast. <laughs> and that's sort of the Democratic establishment view that the it's so important that. That he be the, the, the new FDR with the great new deal and the new great society. He has to pass both. And that's insane. He wasn't elected to be the new FDR. He was elected to not be Trump and be competent and maybe get something done. So if he gets just the little thing done and not the big bloated thing, he's fine. He'll be fine. I, I passed a trillion dollar infrastructure bill. See, it was bipartisan. I said I'd be bipartisan. Uh, and, and the left is mad at me. So how left could I be? Uh, He'll be fine with just a little bill. Yeah, I mean, it's true that unless you think he has to worry about nomination, I mean, within the party, you know, the bill would really help in terms of intra-party support. And that matters in terms of turnout and stuff, I guess, in the general. But um, I think you're right that when he's running against, if he's running, and if he's running against Trump, you know, he's probably, uh, you're right. Uh, that, that it's, that it's not nearly as critical. Well, it's not as critical in the general as in, in gathering intra-party support. But, you know, I mean, first of all, we, well, do you think, I mean, do you think the hard infrastructure, you think the vote's gonna happen and it's gonna pass this Monday? Well, she's obviously gonna put off the vote as long as possible. So she'll put it off for a couple of days. She only said she'd start debate on Monday. She doesn't have to finish debate on Monday. Uh, so, so, you know, so, 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 so they vote Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, and, and you I think, yes, it'll, I think pass? it'll pass. You think it'll pass? Yes. But, but with Democrats or with Republicans? Uh, well, they're going to get at least 10 Republicans, so it'll be a mixture. Uh, but I, I mean, you, I, I guess the question is, will the progressives walk? We don't know how many progressives there are, but will AOC walk with some number of progressives? Well, and she'll not vote walk, for it? but the question is how many walk. And, you know, it's, it'll be a question of it'll win, it'll win by one vote. So they'll, they'll work it out so it wins by one vote. But the, uh, I also think, uh, but then I, th- then I sort of think the, the larger bloated bill will be, uh, you know, still a mess. And it'll take a while, but I do think eventually they'll pass something, even if it's radically watered down. Well, the, uh, you would think it is in all of the Democrats' interest to pass something, um, but uh, you know, if yeah, it's a game of chicken. You know, it's in all of their interest probably to pass something on the soft infrastructure side, 
but they're going to be uh, not that I totally understand what what is the motivation of Joe Manchin uh and and cinema in uh in playing hardball on whatever they're going to play hardball on. What are they going to play hardball on? What what part what? of soft infrastructure are they going to want removed? The same thing you want removed? The, the no, child unfortunately not. Credit? Well, Biden, uh, Manchin, yes. Manchin says he wants to work test the child tax credit, which is all I'm asking for. So that's great. We don't know if he's going to hew to that. He said in a recent interview, well, I want to work test everything, which means, which is great. That's like my vision of the welfare state, right? It's all based on work. He wants to work test and means test it. He should be an honorary editor of the Washington Monthly. That's the Washington Monthly provision. Not coincidentally, Charlie Peters is from West Virginia, Bob. So that maybe he, he is the founding clue. editor of the Washington founding Monthly. Founding editor of the Washington Monthly. Anyway, he, um, uh, Manchin has to get reelected in a very conservative state. So he has a legitimate reason. And also you should never discount, although in Manchin's case, it's hard to believe the, the power of sincerity. <laughs> he really thinks. It's bad to add 3.5 trillion more dollars in spending to the economy. Cinema, I don't know that much about. Uh, supposedly, she has been much more uh, concrete and not va- and less vague in her demands. But I don't know what the demands are. But means testing is clearly one of them. I mean, basically, you know, the child tax credit—they're so they so want it to be universal. That they give it to people who are making like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. Okay. This basically welfare payments. Uh, they don't have to do that. They could cut it off at fifty thousand. So she right? wants to means test that. That would be okay with me. Yeah. I mean, it's, at I, some I, level, certainly at a hundred thousand. The important, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I don't care that much about means testing. I, I'm for it for affordability reasons, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, and what the main thing I want to control is the bottom end, not the top end. Means testing takes it away from the rich. I want to take it away from people who don't work at the bottom the way it is now. So I want to keep the current provision, which is you have to have some taxable income, $2,2500 to, to get this money. And I want to keep that. And that's not really means testing. I don't think cinema is for that, but mansion is. So that's the, anyway, I don't quite know what cinema's motive is. She's a, Bisexual triathlete. I don't know many of those. I'm, she's a she's a, a black box as far as I'm concerned. People say, mm. uh, you know, she, she's she's really uh, you know just doing it for show, and she's calculating, and I'm sure she is to a certain extent. But boy, has she performed so far well. I mean, she put together the bipartisan bill, and uh, and she's quietly holding up the bigger bill. So, uh, uh, but I don't know what motivates her. I would expect a bisexual triathlete to be for, pretty formidable. Um, I suspect, though, that bisexual triathletes have differing uh, ideological views, so I'm not sure it would help if you already knew a couple of them in terms of fathoming her own her own political dispositions. So will all this stuff uh, interact with this, this question of the debt ceiling extension or suspension, or is that a, di- a separate game of chicken between the two parties? Um, I think it's become a separate game of chicken. You know, they could have... The Democrats could pass the debt. It looks like the extension is going to happen. So let's not worry about that. But the the debt ceiling is the, is the higher risk one. And, uh, it, um, the Democrats could put that in a reconciliation bill and pass it by themselves anytime they want. They could have put it in the big bloated bill. But of course, the big bloated bill is going to take forever to pass. So that's too risky. Although I wonder why, you know, that would be a must-pass provision. So they could say, God, we got to pass this thing because otherwise we'll lose full faith and credit. 
But they can do a separate reconciliation bill, apparently. It's just a hassle, and it takes two weeks, and they have to have two votoramas where, you know, people offer a lot of symbolic amendments, and it's it's just a pain in the ass. So and they didn't want to go through the pain in the ass, but now they're going to go through the pain in the ass. So you're you're saying there will be an extension uh, on the debt ceiling, but that's just temporary relief, and they will ultimately have to decide whether to raise it? No, uh, I think they'll extend it. No, if they're going to go through this by themselves, they're going to extend it far enough that they don't have to worry about it. And they may get rid of it altogether. That would be great. It would if be great. Just, if it's they kind just of silly. Said, you know, we don't have to get permission to raise the debt ceiling anymore. Yeah. Uh, so as long as they're doing it by themselves, they might as well do that unless they're going to lose members of their own caucus. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I don't understand is, I don't understand why there's any stigma in voting to raise the debt ceiling anymore. And like, everybody's for big spending. Like, except for Paul Ryan, both parties are for big spending. So are the voters going to punish somebody who votes for the debt ceiling? I don't think so. So were you um, secretly or not so secretly gratified by seeing Biden get a taste of Trump's medicine in the form of, you know, these pictures of migrants being treated harshly at the border and the White House getting blowback? And was was that really a good kind of a good moment for Mickey? No, it was a terrible moment. I thought it was because because he was getting unrelenting bad press for his fucking up this situation. And this gave the left a reason to get outraged and put pressure on him and uh uh, so it, you you it, think it gave a bad name to treating migrants harshly? Well, it was first it was bogus because they didn't whip anybody. They didn't have whips. They had split reins, and the split reins were let me finish were you, being used to guide their horses. But they did say nasty things to the migrants. This one guy said what what this one uh, guy on horseback said to the migrants seems seems sort of What'd outrageous and harsh. What did he say? Like he said, like uh, basically. You make your women do this. That's why you have a shit country, shit whole country. So that that didn't seem Honestly, like a Honestly, I would think that I would think that that person uh, should perhaps be subject to a performance review. I mean, that that's you well, really, all, if you're patrolling the border, you should really kind of keep your mouth shut about stuff like that. They're all subject to performance review, and I assume that guy will get the. But get was the there biggest. was there how do you know was there video? All I just saw one picture, and I didn't There's hear video. it. There is video. I looked for the video this morning, and all I saw—you don't see anybody being whipped. The, the The reins are in the air, so it looks like they could be whipping people, right. but they're whipping the horse. They're not whipping the people. Well, right. it's, it's it's scary to have a horse bearing down on you, so you're going to be scared. Yeah, but the, you are not being whipped. Uh, the one guy, one person—I think it was a, a young girl—falls down because the horse's muzzle hits it, not a whip. The horse is just turning around and her muzzle happens to hit this this girl and she falls down. And then there's a guy who's being grabbed by the shirt and supposedly he was trying to get control of the horse away from the border mm-hmm. guard. So that's like grabbing a cop's gun. You're going to get grabbed by the shirt if you do that. So um, that that seems to be what's going on. But it's inherently scary having these horses come down. And, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, when I saw only a, pictures i wondered like why there hadn't been video but it sounds like maybe the picture some of the pictures look a little more damning than the video looks and that's why the pictures circulated yeah. through some channels but um, uh, so it, it, it's a sideshow and the real thing that that you know if i were on the left see i'd be outraged and and they are outraged is is he's 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 pursued this sort of two-track strategy which is 
sort of kind of brilliant from his point of view, which is he deports a few hundred uh, single men, mostly single men, back to Haiti, which is sort of shocking to them because they haven't been in Haiti for years. They left Haiti a decade ago and they've been mm. in Latin America working. That is and, a deterrent, man. And so they come, they say, oh, well, there's a better deal in America. They come to America and they get shipped back to the place they're trying to avoid. So that's pretty scary. Meanwhile, he's letting two thirds of the people in, uh, never to leave, uh, mainly women with children, but he's counting on the impact of the one third to send a deterrent message. And then he, and, and, you know, what does he, and then he relies on Mexico to, to stop the future, uh, future Haitians from coming. Uh, I don't think it's going to work because a, why, why it, is Mexico incentivized to do that? Because they, they have to deal with shit on the border. Too while this is well, happening, you know, Mexico they, okay, they cooperate and they don't cooperate, and 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 uh, they basically decided we have too many Haitians in our country, and the re- the whole reason for the crisis is they let them all go at once. Okay, they had bottled them up, yeah, uh, in this in the south of their country, and then they said, okay, you can all take buses to the border now. So all of a sudden, ten thousand Haitians turn up at the border, but mm-hmm. there are more Haitians who want to come. There's another ten thousand on the way, supposedly, and. You know, if, if, if we can do things to Mexico that make them happy, like give them massive amounts of foreign aid, they'll, they will occasionally crack down. And, and they don't want Haitians constantly flowing through their country. They're sort of sick of people coming through their country. So that would be a, that would be a reason to crack down. And, and so maybe that'll work. I don't think it'll work because the Haitians are very, very well informed and they know that the women with children are getting through. So if you're a woman with a child, you say, well, Biden's not going to deport me. To Haiti, he's going to let me in. The odds the, are good. They're two out of three. So but then the, the men quit accompanying them, presumably. Yes, although I, if you're a man in a family unit, do you get deported now? I don't know. It's very random. It has a Kafkaesque element. Well, that's they what they really want is random. The, I mean, that's that's the way to make it a deterrent is for it to be random. That's a good point. They, But there's some women with children who are clearly being deported. You see videos of them walking down the gangplank in Haiti. Uh and and so, uh, you know, maybe there's some, you know, you, you're a little worried if you're a man with a family unit. Uh, I, I would be. So. Uh, so what does all this mean for Biden? I mean. I think- are we are you increasingly thinking I see he has seemed I mean, I haven't really tuned into a lot of what he's done lately. But he seems kind of to be all over the place. He see, he seems vibrant. I mean, just to read the newspapers, he's showing up a lot and saying shit. Uh, I don't know how good a job he's doing saying it, especially when it's not in a script. But I find myself more and more thinking that he could run for reelection, which kind of concerns me. But are you, are you getting this sense at all? Well, he, the thing he does best is negotiate deals with senators. And he seems to have done that reasonably well. You didn't see any. He had a series of meetings on Wednesday, I believe, or, uh, uh, at the White House, maybe Thursday, uh, uh, with various politicians. And you didn't see him emerge from those meetings saying, well, he was really out of it. You heard him say, well, he played it very casually. He asked us what our top line number was. And when that didn't work, he asked us what we really wanted. And if you added it up, it added up to a quite a high top line number. So he, he, he he did that job very well and was clearly on the ball, uh, and, and so uh, th- that 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 goes with your theory that he's capable of fulfilling the duties of his office. 
On the other hand, he go he gets he goes from pillar to post. He lets all these people in the country. Then all of a sudden, he turns around and deports a third of them. When it turns out, gee, there's a crisis. Uh, who is he listening to? Who tells him he has to deport it? Was that Mayorkas's cynical advice, or did somebody in the White House get to him? Uh, the the whole issue well, of the puppeteer. Who is the person who who is his Svengali? Who who is his Rasputin? Who has his who has his ear? Uh, is is it was brought to the fore by this sort of well this this, this uh, schizophrenia. It's probably not any single person, assuming there's anybody who fits that description, right? I mean, unless it's Jill. It's Jill or Nancy. Nancy? No, Nancy can't be his all-purpose Fingali. Why not? She has a telephone. Jill wouldn't she put up people. with it. Jill wouldn't put up with it. Jill won't put it up from Kamala, because Kamala is the Eve. You think, you think, you think Jill's fine with, with Joe being, being Nancy's slave? No, Nancy just gives advice. Um, I, I, you can't, Nancy's Speaker of the House, you can't, well, like, I'm sure he her. takes her advice on stuff like that, but if you're talking about a puppet master, which is, I think, the term you use, that's different. Well, it'd be somebody who said, you know, this border thing is out of control, you gotta do something, Joe. Yeah, but I just think there's different people on different issues. Um, probably. That and, implies that he is the conductor of the orchestra and he puts all the pieces together. Mm, uh, could be, could be. Uh, or that there are a lot of conductors. It's, uh, musical conductors, so to speak. Um, <laughs> um so, uh, what else? He gave a general assembly speech. Uh, uh, that's your bailiwick. What did you think of it? Oh, I'm going to write something on this, I think, in my newsletter eventually. Uh, not, not in today's, but, um, you know, I, I think it, it shows you what the problem is with his foreign policy. Um, I mean, he, you know, he basically said he wants to do three things, uh, fight pandemics and fight, uh, uh, authoritarianism and, uh, what was it? Wait, what was the third thing he wanted to fight? Um, he wanted to fight something else. Uh, it'll come he to me. He wants to fight for a rules based order. No, it, it's not a rules-based order. Uh, it's uh, it's all going to come back. But anyway, the problem, um, the third one is something that I applaud. The uh, uh, it'll it'll come to me as I speak. But the um, uh, but the the authority. I mean, the the contradiction is when he says, um, you know, we don't want a cold war, but we do want to fight authoritarian authoritarianism relentlessly. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's just going to be too much tension there. The, I, uh, and I, I don't know. My, my, my big critique is a little, is a little subtler than that. Um, but it has to do with, it has to do with the problems he's not even mentioning. Like the only, the only disarm, the, the only arms control thing he mentions is nuclear arms. And that's just, that's yesteryear. It's fine to try to keep them under control, but there's all these emerging, emerging threats like, uh, biological weapons that he's not even thinking about. And, and I think if he took those things seriously, um, then, uh, he would realize that he can less afford to be putting so much emphasis on fighting authoritarianism. There's just going to be a trade-off uh, between those things. In a way, there won't be a trade-off 
between fighting uh, COVID and fighting authoritarianism. Oh, the other one is climate change. The third one is climate change. And similarly, there won't necessarily be such a huge trade-off, although there will be some between fighting uh, climate change and fighting authoritarianism. The um, I don't like the term Cold War, as you know. I think it's a case of uh, of people putting things in old old boxes for for rhetorical effect. Obviously, it's different from the Cold War because Russia wanted to bury us, and we did we weren't connected with Russia the way we're connected to China. So it's a different kind of containment. But it, it, this, the Biden strategy does seem to now be containment. There's a a new book out by the guy who's, I think, running the Biden-China policy, basically saying that Xi's uh, drive for authority and world, uh, he wants to be number one in the world. He doesn't want to bury us. He just wants to be number one. Uh, we get to be the alpha, ma- the beta male in the group, I guess. Uh, that, um, that that isn't just Xi. It's, 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 it stems from decades of party doctrine. And and there's no point. You can't hold out any hope that if you if she goes, uh, you know that other p- people more moderate will take his place. Uh, that's just the way they are. So you have to contain them. Uh, uh, well, I, but there's a, there's a th- another possibility, which is that the more you try to contain them, the more appetite there will be for hardline leaders, and so you get more and more she like. Now he's probably going to be there for a while, but the point is that the more you try to contain them. Uh, the more nationalistic China gets, and and the more you can expect their leader to play tough guys. I guess, that I is at least this, a possibility. This book by the Biden guy would suggest that uh, we're stuck with it anyway, and there's no way they're not going to uh, pursue this strategy, even if uh, even if we don't try to contain them. So we might as well try to contain them. Well, I mean, and I guess the authoritarianism thing is a it could be seen as a guise. To give it a, a nice ideological, uh, uh, you know, patina to what really is, we don't want it to be the beta male. We want to be the alpha male. Right. I mean, it's great. It, it, it's, it's, it's competition between two great powers, a rising power and a power that in relative, uh, global terms is declining in terms of its wealth as a, as a, as a fraction of global wealth. That's us. But, um, yeah, I, I think to a large extent that is what is going on. And I wouldn't be so quick to assume that China wants alpha status per se. I haven't seen signs um, that they want to uh, encroach on, you know, uh, our territorial waters or anything or, or challenge any of our vital interests. They've made noises about being in Hawaii already. Oh, give me a break. Being there and what's I – mean, I mean, if so, I mean, that, you know, they consider – our being in in like the South China Sea, at least being there in certain capacities to be uh, threatening, and they, and they may make noises about Hawaii the, in that context. But I, the, I don't think what you think they're going to like try to invade Hawaii. No, I agree that they don't they 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 they, they don't pose that kind of threat. I don't think the book is Rush Doshi's The Long Game: China's Grand Strategy to Displace American Order. So there. Um, well, there. It depends what we mean by order. Uh, um, that's the whole question. I mean, at which there are a lot of rules they would be willing to abide by. Uh, and then there's a set of things that they consider intrusions on, uh, in effect, their inter- internal affairs, which they define more broadly than well, we do, include, uh, you know, Taiwan and, they, and some islands in the in they, South they China They seem to sea. take everything, to fit everything into this framework. They, they, uh, 
there were some hilarious ones. They um, the they apparently held uh, Facebook's decision to ban Donald Trump was not uh, was not like good. The United States is moving our way in terms of internet censorship. It was what a horrible sign of weakness in the American state that the American president can't even boss around Facebook the way we boss around our tech companies. So. That was a sign of weakness. Everything Wait, who, is a sign said, of American weakness. Who said that? I mean, she didn't say that. Doshi, I think. I believe who? this book. It's it's uh, there's a review in the Washington Post by John Pomfret, somebody named Pomfret. Um. It, uh, so, John Pomfret. So, um, uh, it's all about the patches, anyway, Bob. We know that. Patches. You wrote about patches. Oh, the not shoulder the, patches. Yeah. Not just the song. Yeah, I was going to actually discuss that in the parrot room. It's it's maybe a little arcane for this, but um, yeah, that was last that was Monday's newsletter about. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I was wondering whether I whether you would complain that I overplayed that. It was definitely worth bringing out. It was and, well, they, like I say, China glommed on it. They glommed on everything, so they glommed onto the yeah, past. And I I acknowledge that possibility in the piece. We should uh, we might as well tell people what we're talking about. So I did this. Piece in the newsletter saying, you know, the, the, the way the Mark Milley story was played, you know, the story comes out of the Bob Woodward book was, uh, Milley steps in and keeps, uh, an unstable Trump from starting a war with China. Whereas if you look at some of the things that had actually created, uh, the tension with China, China and ostensibly some concern on China's part that Milley was subduing with his reassurances. Uh, some of them weren't Trump's instability. Uh, it had to do with a military exercise that involved like the mock invasion of an island. And it was an American island, but they made it pretty clear. We made it pretty clear that we had uh, in mind an island that that China uh, might want to defend, and one way we made that clear was that people participating in the in the uh, in the exercise had this shoulder patch that had um, a map of China. It was there were these drones that were central to the exercise, a certain type of drone. Shoulder patch had them flying over a map of China with uh, first of all an actual image of the Grim Reaper because it's called the Reaper drone, but also there was a crosshairs on the center of China. Okay. So there was a picture of this in Air Force magazine. This gets back to China. And this is, this is like, uh, just a month or two before Mark Milley's first call reassuring China, right? Which is late October. And, uh, this starts getting, uh, play in China's press in late September. Uh, these exercises are just winding up. These shoulder patches hit, hit, the Chinese uh, media, including both official, you know, House Communist Party House organs and uh, like the South China Morning Post, which sometimes does reflect uh, Beijing's perspective, even though it's nominally run by, uh, independently. Um, and then uh, what, what's really interesting here for, for in terms of this thesis that this had a lot to do with the China concern that, that Milley was, uh, was, was subduing, um, is like one day before the first Milley phone call. So the Milley phone call comes like October 30th to 31st. And ever, and you know, it is right before the election. And that's the thing the post played up. The day before that, 
the Chinese press is saying, um, okay, concerns about this war, concerns that were stoked by this shoulder patch are over because the Secretary of Defense has called China and reassured us. Okay. Now this is the day before Milley's first phone call. Okay. Right. So first of all, that reinforces the idea that Woodward was over dramatizing this thing. Milley actually had the full support of the Secretary of Defense. He wasn't going rogue. But secondly, the Secretary of Defense did the work. Milley's phone call was more like a follow up. Hey, you guys okay? Is everything, you know, it's like, it's like the tensions were officially declared subdued well, in this... the Chinese press the day before Milley's first phone call. So that makes it even more bizarre that he gave them a heads up, promised to give them a heads up, which I doubt. Well, I'm not even sure which authorized. phone call that was. Was that the January 6th phone call or this October? I don't know. That's a good question. That may have been the later one. Now, now I grant you the later one, uh, there may have been more exclusively Trump-related concern on China's part. I don't know. But but just looking at what happened, the part that I describe in last Monday's non-zero newsletter um, is enough to tell you, I think, two things. A, predictably, the whole Woodward story was overblown. It wasn't Millie going rogue. And B, it was overblown in the sense that this wasn't just another – resistance morality play where, you know, Millie heroically or anybody heroically steps in and saves us from Trump. Yeah, maybe they were partly saving us from Trump, but there's also the question of like uh, whether just the defense establishment with these exercises and so on and, and with whoever the hell thought up the shoulder patch are needlessly uh, scary. How many people. patches are there? I mean, I, my guess is that every branch of the armed services that's in this operation has a separate patch. So they're probably... Multiple patches, and I doubt that they're all reviewed by Millie. They're probably well, you know, an interesting. I mean, one thing I said is like, if whoever decided on this patch doesn't understand that in in the modern environment, and this is very different from twenty years ago, but in the modern environment, if you put a patch on a soldier's shoulder that that has crosshairs on China. That is trolling China because it's probably going to get around. This wasn't so true 20 years ago, but it's so, probably going to get to them now. So, and if you don't know that, you shouldn't be designed. You shouldn't so, be choosing patches. Somebody else so should. Can, so cancel culture is extended to patches now. We're going to have tame, insipid PC patches that no, don't offend it, anybody. I don't think that's the way to look at it. I think the way <laughs> to look at it is that, you know, because of social media and the pervasiveness of cameras and everything – there's a broader array of stuff that amounts to communication with foreign countries, right? Well, They're going to react to a patch like that. It's, it's just it, that 20 years ago, they wouldn't have found out about it. It, re it reminds me of uh, the incident at the beginning of Gulf War One, when we stationed our troops in uh, in Saudi Arabia. With, and um, uh, there was a lot of concern that we would be sensitive to local mores and customs. And the first song they played on the radio was The Clashes Rock the Casbah. Yeah. Uh, and I, at the time, I thought it was a great thing. Here we were. If, the, if these people want us to help them, fuck them. They're going to have to hear Rock the Casbah. And then it turned out, of course, that our presence there was what so pissed off Osama bin Laden. And maybe it wasn't the most diplomatic thing to play Rock the Casbah. Um, that might have so, been my uh, view at the time, even, Mickey. It was? Did you even know it was happening? I remember you and I having this conversation. It was a little after the fact. It was, it was, it was years after the fact, but you were still kind of cheerleading it. And I was not. Um, 
Okay. Well, uh, anyway, it, it was a similar mistake, although I guess I guess they care more about the morale of the troops than they care. And you're saying they should care less about the morale of the troops and more about. No, I didn't say that. I mean, look, if you've got troops who can't get up in the morning unless they have a shoulder patch with some country crosshairs on some country, get new troops. I mean, come on. Well, it throw, obviously throw helps. That's up. why they have them. That's why they have these challenge coins, which is another thing no, that's going to no, get you actually, in trouble. Actually, no. I, I mean, one theory I came up with, and there's some evidence for this. It's This is a speculative theory. But if you ask, what was this patch for? Apparently, I mean, this is crazy, but the, the, this drone is like an endangered species because it's a kind oh, right, of old drone. Right, right, right. And apparently you have these people who are supporters of this drone, which no doubt includes the company that makes it. And, uh, and, and apparently part of it sounds as if part of the idea behind this whole exercise was to prove that this drone uh, can be useful as we pivot to Asia. It can be useful if we attack an island, you know, and uh, it, there's some reason to think that maybe that's where the shoulder patch came from is the military industrial complex. And I know there I know there there are. Uh, uh, people who will read my piece and, and say what you said. Oh, does everything have to be PC? But, you know, I'm sorry. A, uh, that was a joke, Bob. No, but you know, there will be reaction like that, right? <laughs> it is like, oh, come on. Do we all so have to spend all our time worrying what's going to annoy the Chinese? But I mean, look, let's look at it this way. If, if we caught wind of Chinese soldiers wearing a shoulder patch that had a map of America with a crosshair on Kansas. What do you think the average Republican congressman would do about that? Like, no big deal? No, it would be 24-7 for about a week on Fox News. Republicans actually uh, have to think the crosshairs are harmless because of the Gabby Giffords crosshair. Uh, that's that would be uh, an uncharacteristic display of logical so, consistency on their part. You're referring to the fact that Sarah Palin, right, before Gabby Gifford was shot, Sarah Palin had some kind of what a poster, what with crosshairs on certain congressional districts, right? Yes, including yes. Gabby Gifford's. Yes. Um. So um, it's just a harmless metaphor. Um. Okay, I'll calm down now if I know that you're <laughs> on my side. I have. That's all I want, Mickey. I have one more reasonably large topic. We have time for that, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is your buddy, your buddy Ezra Klein, your guru, your mentor. He's a god among men. Did I mention that Ezra Klein is a god among men, Mickey? Did I? Yeah. Okay. Um, I try to say that every week. Who I have the utmost respect for, as you know. Um, uh, he wrote a column which everybody sort of liked called supply side liberalism. And it was good. It, It was, it was a good column. It said basically instead of, just worrying about redistribution, we have to do more. We have to also change the provision of goods that are available to the people to whom this income is redistributed. As a society, we want, we want new goods uh, that dovetails with the administration's fixation on worrying about inflation. So if you can argue that this big bloated package is going to uh, uh, increase supply in a way that will lower inflation, that will presumably make it more palatable. But Klein is talking about more things than that. He cites what I haven't read, but what sounds like a very good left-wing essay about how, you know, as a society, we, we have to reach for great things, reach for AI, cures, all sorts of science fiction things. And I think that's right, and I think that would also make life more meaningful for, for people if they thought there was some goal, larger goal they were going toward. 
But uh, then, uh, and of course, the administration adopted it, perhaps because it is uh, a talking point of the administration. Uh, um, the Economist. Uh, Wait, the administration adopted what? The Economist Jared Bernstein wrote a blog post where he cited Ezra's article and said, "That's right, we're going to lower inflation because we're, we're going to have these going to be supply side, good supply side things are happening in this bill and." The problem is when you look down the list of what the things are in the bill and are they supply side, the Klein thesis doesn't do so well. Okay, transportation, infrastructure, hard infrastructure, we'll give that to them. That increases the productive capacity of society, thereby removing bottlenecks and letting us produce more, lowering the risk of inflation. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, 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 housing, Dem- Democrats want more supply, they want to remove exclusionary zoning, but that's in the bill, not in the bill. So it's a problem for Klein because it's not in the bill. Uh, uh, healthcare, well, Klein says, well, we want to, we, we want to keep the drugs coming. So, uh, it's not, we still wanted to control prices. Normally the prices are what high prices, what would keep the drugs coming was to control prices and devise new policies to increase the supply of drugs. Well, that's great. You, you can always say, hey, I'm going to fuck things up, and then, but I'm going to come up with new policies. Well, what are these new policies? It turns out they're, they're prizes for people who give create drugs, uh, you know, that society wants. Well, how about the prizes? You make a billion dollars. I mean, that's a pretty good tried and true prize. Uh, so it, it's not clear that Klein so is wait, going the to prizes, increase the prizes... supply of, of, of drugs the way he claims to. Um. Bernie Sanders has some plan where we, it, we, we we control prices so they don't make their they don't get rewarded by profits they right. get rewarded by these prizes. That the well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, you give a huge prize to a person, but then there's no patent protection. That would lower prices unless the prize is like fifty billion dollars. I mean, that that makes sense. Right, but the, it's. It, it, Assuming the patent protection isn't the lure that lets them develop the drug in the first place. Well, no, but you It's very replaced- socialistic. It's basically saying we don't trust the market. We tr- we trust the government giving awards and prizes. And and I I would say that that thesis is unproven. Well, maybe maybe so, but in theory, if if you give prizes as the incentive but take away the patent protection, uh, that could that could save money. Sure. I mean, lower lower the overall amount spent on the drug. But can it save money at the same time as it stimulates as much new drug production? That's what it it has to eliminate things like yeah. copycat drugs and all the well, things I, I that think, the market now wastes wastes resources yeah. on, and and still, it, I, I you know it seems to me that is a I, I you know I, I, the small question portion. is partly d- does the uh, does a reward provided by the patent system currently provide uh, more incentive than is necessary? I think I think it does. I think a good example is these vaccines. You know, Pfizer and Moderna have already made so much money that it, that that the investment made sense. They've gotten enough positive reinforcement to keep companies looking well, for life saving vaccines, period, and yet they're going to get a lot solution. more. And yet they're going to get a lot more, which is it, more it, than they it, needed for incentive. Look, it, I'm not going to be able to articulate this, but Mike Kinsley wrote a very good essay in Slate, which nobody reads anymore. This article nobody reads anymore. It's very hard to find. He pointed out the problem when the marginal cost of something like a pill is virtually zero, Mm -hmm. you really don't know where to put the price. Because in theory, 
Right. In, Unless in, you have economic monopoly. theory, the marginal cost increases as 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 scale ramps up mm-hmm. at some point, and that's where you put the price. But realistic with a pill, they, they it never increases. So you could price it at ten dollars. You could price it at a hundred dollars. But if you drive Which, it down, if you let the if you let us get the Canadian rate, mm. okay. It will drive it down so low that it basically, which is what Bernie Sanders and Ezra Klein and the mm-hmm. Democrats want to do, the progressive Democrats, give us the same rate Canada gets. That drives it so low that it really does deprive the company of profits. Uh, so, yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure I accept his premise. Depends on what exactly he said. If, if, if you have a monopoly by virtue of patent, you do know uh where to put the price it's the it's wherever maximizes your annual profit and you don't have to worry about competition there is such right. thing as too high but you find out what it is and but that's presumably what you have to price. The, presumably the we pay the canada price applies to drugs that have patent protection so you can't set the price wherever you want medicare will first first yeah. even without the canada thing if you let medicare negotiate they will negotiate it you even if you have the patent down so low right. that you won't be able to make enough profit. But the Canada thing is, is, is sort of worse because it sort of says you can't go above this low rate that, that we give Canada. So it's, it's not clear that the drug thing will increase supply. It's not clear that their health plans are going to bend the curve and make things cheaper. It's not clear that the electric car plans are going to do any more than jump in front of the parade. The, the, you know, the, the area, the, the country's already shifting to electric cars. So the government's like jumping in front and saying, see, we're incentivizing it. Well, I don't know how much good that does you, but there are other well, things in the bill that actually hurt supply. Okay, okay. Just, just quickly, the government did incentivize, did help the electric car industry right. gotten to where it's gotten. There's been subsidies for almost every electric car that's sold. Right. Do we need any more is the question. I don't know. Actually, I, uh, Tesla I'm not ready to buy one. <laughs> Tesla got initial subsidies, but I think it's three of them now. Well, Tesla exhausted, I think, yeah. uh, reached its limit. But new new car, uh, the ones that are just getting into the market, right. get to sell as many cars, I think, as Tesla sold with subsidies. So right. but it's going to keep there coming may be for a some, long time. There may be some problem with adoption of electric cars that I'm not aware of. But basically, the whole industry is moving like a glacier toward electric cars. It's like unstoppable. At this well, if it's moving right. like a glacier, I think the velocity could be increased. I'm not sure that's the metaphor you want, <laughs> Mickey. You're, that's probably a good, good criticism. More like um, a juggernaut. You want a juggernaut. Um, a tidal wave, a tsunami. A tsunami, um, yes. Anyway, um, uh, uh, parental leave takes workers out of the workforce. How does that increase productive capacity? It doesn't. It hurts productive capacity. The, the child tax credit, which Ezra Klein admits is on a demand side prop, a solution, not a supply side solution, has, has worked its incentive effects. So that takes workers out of the workforce. That's a supply, that's an anti-supply problem. Uh, uh, the daycare, their daycare plan, which would basically, is basically just daycare vouchers or daycare block grants. It's not doing anything to help the supply of daycare help improve the efficiency of daycare. Their only argument, which is not a terrible one, is it frees up the caretakers to go to, it frees up the parents to go to work. So well, puts, yeah, yeah, I would think daycare know. in principle reduces per household costs for child rearing uh, and in that way does free up productive it may, capacity. I think that's a disputed point, but during welfare reform, I agreed with that. So yes. Um, 
So, uh, so so far it's Ezra two and maybe three. If you take my view of the healthcare thing, no, he, he's not doing that badly. There's there's a reason they call him a god among men, Mickey. He's bad, he's bad on parental leave, the daycare thing, which Jared Bernstein really emphasizes, uh, is 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 not any sort of uh, structural improvement in the daycare industry. It's just pouring money in the old out the old. Uh, you know, out the old, uh, channels, uh, education, uh, uh, there's an argument that that drives up the price. It's not clear that they're doing anything. They're subsidizing, uh, community college, you know, in college, in regular college, that just drove up the price. So people have to take out these huge loans. Well, isn't it going to do the same thing with community well, college? Well, uh, you could argue um, that community college has a bigger payoff in in terms of, you know, employment and equipping people with uh, vocation-relevant skills. Yeah. You can say that. Uh, I uh, just said it. Climate change, I think they actually are. I know nothing about climate change. I accept that they're actually trying for innovative, earth-changing solutions. Job training is really a blob, Bob. We've been funding job training for years. We're still having the same fucking debates that we had uh, 30 years ago when I looked at it. You know, is it we need to get the employers involved so they're training for the right jobs? And it's exactly there seems to be absolutely no progress uh, made in 30 years. And is the government's return on job training actually any good? I sort of think no. So um, I don't know. It seems like a very mixed picture, Bob. Um, I don't know. I thought by my accounting rules, uh, Ezra <laughs> did better than by yours. What, what ones does he win? Does he win health care? No, he may, he may win health care. He may win child, well, he may child, win them child all, care. But may is not good enough here. Uh, well, but he, he has a stronger case in those two categories than you it, acknowledged. Um, I did, 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 well, I, I don't think, I think he had there's a very a re- good strong there case is a reason they say. In, in healthcare, uh, you know, healthcare is expensive. We're going to have more and more treatments that are more and more expensive, and ultimately, we're just going to have to pay for them. Well, that's just life, but but that's going to happen to some extent in any event. The question is, right. under which system does it happen more? Um, Look, it is a fact that that uh, just straight up socialized medicine. Not that anybody's actually proposing that, but. True universal health care, and not that anybody's proposing that, but moving in those directions does tend to reduce medical costs. Now, it, do, it, it there's a price paid for that uh, in terms of the accessibility of the more exotic uh, treatments, but right. But his whole thrust does is lower cost. It is his whole thrust is I'm his whole thrust is I'm citing this visionary leftist who says we want the exotic treatments, we need the new treatments, we need the expensive treatments. So you're saying he's going to cut them out. Well, that contradicts what he's saying. That well, no, but there is a separate – no, no, but the, the thing about giving prizes for drug research is a separate analytically issue, separate issue. And, and, and you can imagine that reducing costs relative to the current system of patent protection. I mean, look, Mickey, the, the length of patents was determined by Congress when. What are the chances that it's like the optimal system in any sense? It came from Congress. It's almost certainly fucked up. None of these people seem to mention patents. Maybe there's something in the bill that I don't know about. Well, maybe I'm maybe but, I'm I'm just going by your account. I assume that the giving of prizes would be a patent. replacement. He doesn't mention patents. Bernstein doesn't mention patents. 
Well, then maybe they're all scared to touch patents because they know the lobbying is too strong. There. Well, the way I can see this working to lower costs is you replace uh, patent protection, or maybe you reduce the link to patent protection and throw in these prizes or something. I, I just. How about if you if you invent a new drug, the leaf blowers will turn off, and you'll be able to hear yourself think. You sure those leaf blowers aren't in your head, Mickey? Uh, no, I'm not sure. That's the problem. Uh, ever could since be, I drove, could it. be COVID. By the way, uh, the case numbers. There's finally just the last couple of days evidence that the deaths could be plateauing, and that the case numbers could be actually declining, declining, which would be good. Uh, I agree. The, 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 it seems. That- it's the the climb seems to have been going on too long for it just to be Florida. Anyway, it's going down here in California, so that's all I care about. Okay. Now, meanwhile, though, I'm regretting that I'm a Pfizer guy because I'm not no quite kidding. old enough. I'm not quite old enough for the booster, but it's turning out. Did, did you get Moderna? I got Moderna, and not only not only uh, does Moderna turn out to have more staying power, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but the booster shot is only half the dose of the regular shot, according to the president of Moderna. Uh, so uh, that slightly alleviates my worry that it's going to turn me into a paralytic arthritic case because I have these side effects, what I think are side effects of pain in my joints. Um, I'll take a half a dose before I'll take another dose. The uh, – what was I going to say? Um going to say something. You know, that guy, uh, that Malone guy, who was the closest thing to a, to a credentialed person who was sounding alarms about the vaccine, about side effects, uh, he said months ago that he, he had gotten Moderna and wished he had gotten Pfizer if he had thought through the side effects more clearly. I assume these are two sides of the same coin. In other words, Moderna sends out more shit to more parts of your body, and that's what scared him. But that's why, presumably, it lasts longer. Um, the uh, uh, I don't know, I, but I, yeah, the president also said there's going to be pl- enough vaccine to vaccinate the whole planet soon. Well, they better hurry. This is another case where uh, they should have they should have uh, on emergency grounds uh, reduced the patent protection a while ago. But the um, uh, I, the other thing I think they're going to discover. I think they, they're kind of concluding is that with Pfizer, they should have, the second shot should have come significantly later. And all you had to do, the funny thing is all you had to do is look at the trial data to conclude that. I mean, um, the effects were pretty dramatic, like, you know, a couple of weeks after the first shot. It was clear. The, the, the case rate suddenly departed from the control group's case rate. They're both going up. And as I recall, after 10 days, two weeks, this is after one Pfizer shot, if I'm recalling correctly, um, the case rate just starts leveling off for the, for the vaccination group, keeps going up for the, uh, control group. Uh, so, you know, what happened apparently is both Moderna and Pfizer wanted to be on the safe side when they did their trials, wanted to make sure they could show an effect. So they both said, let's make it a two vaccine sh- uh, shot. Um, Johnson and Johnson didn't say that. Okay. So Johnson and Johnson did their trials with one and Pfizer and Moderna did their trials with two and with a specific interval, I guess three weeks or something in the case of Pfizer. And then they're totally locked into that. 
you know, so Johnson and Johnson can't can't say even though their eff- their efficacy rate looks lower, mainly just because they only did one shot. J and J can't now say, well, wait, we've decided it's a two shot vaccine because no, that's not how you did your trials. Yeah. And and and, and it, it's a it's a screwed up system, and it it gets back to the fact that they don't permit challenge trials, which I won't get into. Um, good. Uh. Anyway, give me my point that parental leave is not a supply side liberalism. It's demand side liberalism that fucks up the supply side because 12 weeks of parental leave a year, Bob, is a lot of parental leave. Well, you got to throw in the externality. Here's the argument, you, you know, that I'll, that you, oh, the, the kid, the, their kids right. won't get as sick. So the long term, they'll spend less time with the kid. And what's uh, the argument? No, it's that. Their kids will not feel loved, and then later, ten years later, to compensate for that, they'll, they'll go buy a Republican. bunch of shit and drive up inflation. They'll be like buying shit ten years later. That's it. So it's anti-inflationary. Parental leave is anti-inflationary because you there don't you produce go. these psychologically damaged kids who overspend to overcompensate for the feeling of insecurity. I assume that's what Ezra said. I think you've gone you've gone deep, Bob. Okay. Anyway, on balance, I think I think the, the supply side thing is, uh, you know, it, it's survived your really scrutiny better than you might think. And maybe daycare, maybe daycare, maybe drugs, which would be mm. uh, a victory. I think those three would would mean Ezra three Mickey. There's two. much higher percentage chance that it'll fuck up drugs than it'll help drugs. Um. So now we have been talking for an hour, Mickey, more than an hour. So, so we're not going to get the Hunter Biden. Damn it. Well, that's perfect parrot room stuff. Now, or did Jake you? Jake Sullivan. That's the shocking one. Well, you're going to have to explain that one to me. Now, now first okay. of all, <clears throat> let me write this down. So on Hunter, are you talking about the Glenn Greenwald piece? It, Jake Sullivan is, is exposed to prosecution by Mr. Durham. He may have lied to Congress. Ooh, that would be great. I know that Do I don't wish like any Jake human Sullivan? ill, but. Well, he's he's part of the blob. It's not the sort of crime that ordinarily would have, would be prosecuted, but Durham may be a man on a mission. Um. Okay, so we'll talk about that. But that. But then there is the Hunter Biden. That you you didn't read the Glenn Greenwald piece about Hunter Biden. You know, do I have time to read a Glenn Greenwald piece? I would still be reading it. Well, if somebody it's, will it's tell you, it's a classic the- case of the Substack where the guy doesn't know how to stop writing. It's not the stopping. It's the problem. It's the, uh, it's the, um, and it's not strictly speaking the burying of the lead because the lead is in the headline. It's just <laughs> that you don't know how many paragraphs down the lead is going to be. That is the substack phenomenon that the lead is not buried in the old fashioned sense. It's not like the reporter doesn't know what the lead is. They just don't feel a reason to let you discover it with less than an hour's reading. You have to learn their whole life story before you get to the lead. The um, well, Glenn is uh, not sure, life story. I'm sure Greenwald was right. I accept that he was right. I don't. I don't have to read his piece. Uh, the there was a, a, a horrible. There were two horrible examples of that. One is there's a, a a long attack on Karl Rove, which sounds great, uh, called the notorious P.I.G. that Ann Coulter was hyping. I'd read two thousand words. I hadn't gotten to the fucking nut paragraph. I was still on this guy's early childhood, adolescent history or something. Yeah. So 
I just gave up. And the second thing was, the, there's actually in the Washington Post, there's, a, I think, a piece about how new leaks uh, reveal embarrassing details about Proud Boys, okay? I read, I, I read, I, I did more than skim. I did a deep skim. I actually looked at every paragraph to try to find what the embarrassing details were. And I couldn't, after 40 paragraphs, I hadn't gotten to any embarrassing details yet. Okay. <laughs> Give me yeah. a break. This is the, the Substack thing uh, bleeding over into mainstream media. I want to talk about other aspects of Substack in the parrot room. So I'm okay. circling that. Um, um the, uh, a- I, I think there's a, there's a, how should I put this? Well, I want to do some compare and contrast between Substack and Patreon. And along some dimensions, I think Patreon comes out better. Okay. Um, I- as far as ways to go, uh, the the um I, I want, maybe 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 I should write this in my Substack newsletter. No, um maybe what? Sorry, the leaf blowers are on again. I, I said uh, maybe I should write this in my Substack newsletter, but maybe uh, not yet. I'll, I'll vet I'll vet it with you. I also want to um I want to ask you about the next thing I'm going to write in my newsletter. It's about the blob. It has a little to do with that General Assembly speech. It has a little to do with Ben Rhodes. I, I, I need guidance here. That's true about every post you write. That I need guidance? No, or that, that it's it has about to do those with three the things. Blob and a well, that's to do the with other ben question. Rhodes. Have I been doing too much foreign policy lately? It seems like a very I thought fluid. That's what your Substack was about. No, you write no. about other things? No, I mean, uh, there's a lot of stuff on kind of. The psychology of tribalism, cognitive biases, and so on. It's just that lately it seemed like a very fluid moment foreign policy-wise, starting with Afghanistan. Yeah, um, so I would just drop it in a few months. Oh, um, also, our uh, the, the Parrot Room campaign to get you to use a dating app continues. Some of the commenters, I think, have been very obliging in they've suggesting— They've been very generous, and I think I want to call a halt to it. But We can talk about that in the Parrot Room. Oh, Mickey— Nobody wants to be Leroy in that horrible uh Leroy boy you're my friend that in that song, song. That shitty song. That is a bad song. Todd I would not wish that on my my worst enemy. A shitty character in a shitty song. You you jump the shark with Todd Rundgren boy. That's all well, I'm saying. Well there's also and there's another t- I want to discuss Todd Rundgren cuz it's an odd case of really super annoying songs combined with pretty good songs. Okay. <laughs> Todd Rundgren. That's not, an, that's not odd at all. That's the usual, usual fare. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, couple of new minor Epstein angles. There's a new potentially breakthrough, uh, 8chan conspiracy that I only got a glimpse of. I haven't had a chance to investigate it. 8, 8chan? 8chan is 4chan for people who think 4chan is too tame. Ah. Remind There's me to Jennifer have Jennifer Rubin. There's replacement theory, the the mere discussion of which will get me into terminal trouble. No, you uh, can discuss it. It's your endorsement of it that I think is kind of the the hot. If you button. say anything other than it, it's a horrible racist thing that nobody ever should say. You're in trouble. Well, it uh, depends on it. Depends on the version of it. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that. So we're going to talk about replacement theory. That is oh, oh I, well known. And I yeah. want to praise I want to draw a sharp distinction between my hero Walter Shapiro and your hero Ezra Klein. 
What is uh, is well, is Walter well, not a god among men? Is that what you're saying? No, he's. I said he's my hero. No, I know, but that would be a distinction. If he's not a god among men, you've got your distinction, and we can just move on to something else. They're both gods among men, but oh, okay. uh, there's a there's a there's a uh, contrast to be made, which we will make in the parrot room. In the parrot room, people got to pay for that one. I guess I guess I'm going to annoy people when I say that. Uh, Why? But, uh, no, because so because it's a it's a bad habit to tease things like that. Well, I want to I want to get into uh, that in the context of Substack newsletters teasing uh, the propriety of teasing. It's better than offering blogging heads plus where we send you a tote bag and a you know much better pair of Although shorts. Although we could we could tease that it's like. You got to pay to find out what the tote bag says. Something like that. The tote bag lost some bullshit about intrusive inspections. Unprecedentedly um, intrusive inspections. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I want to quickly mention, I, I listened to an interview with uh, Michael Wolf by Andrew Sullivan. Uh, and some things he said about Trump are worth running by you. Yeah, about okay. tr- the, the exact nature of Trump's uh, craziness. And his conviction that Trump is going to uh, run and that. Okay, so um, that's a lot of stuff. I don't think I'm going to disagree with him there, but anyway, okay. That's a lot of stuff. He uh, knows more about Trump than I do. So, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not sure about his judgment, Michael Wolf's judgment. We can talk about that maybe. Um, also, I've decided maybe he's not a bad person. I had a bad experience with him, but then it dawned on me maybe he just doesn't like me. That could be. I had a bad experience with him too. Well, maybe it's he just fitting. doesn't like you and me. But then I then he, then he seemed to like me, so I like him now. So he just doesn't <laughs> like me. So maybe he just doesn't like me. That's what I'm, seemed, I'm back to my original he hypothesis. To, he he seemed to have the attitude toward the truth that was portrayed on Saturday Night Live, which is, were you not amused? <laughs> right. That's what <laughs> that's what worries me about him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we will see folks uh, who go to the pair room at patreon.com slash pair room in the pair room. You know, other things people could do to, to uh, win our uh, enduring and undying gratitude would be smash the like button on YouTube, rate and review the right show. Can you think of anything else, Mickey? Subscribe to Cows Files, the Mickey Cows newsletter. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, it, rate which, us. Is, which is free. Follow us on Instagram. Uh yeah. Um, no, no, Mickey. We're not write, on Instagram. No, the answer is no, no on Instagram. No. Write your congressman and oppose the refundable child tax credit. I'm afraid I can't. I can't support you on that. Uh, but You're we will, for the uh, refundable child tax credit? Seriously. Yeah, I think. The one you're against? If you're against it, I'm for it. Sure. You liked welfare? Weren't you an editor of the New Republic during welfare reform? I am totally I, – I am less convinced than you are that that uh, Clinton's brief experiment with workfare was a big success. Um, in any event – Work went fact, up, child poverty went down? I don't know. I don't remember you always singing this tune. I thought you once acknowledged that the, that the results were more ambiguous. But well, maybe, things, maybe. Th- things, things – I, I thought states would in, initiate uh, guaranteed job programs and they, the governor's – not only didn't do that, they just generally fell down on the job. That, so that, that, that part didn't work. Now, that reminds me, for reasons I don't understand, that uh, 
Our commenters a few weeks ago made a couple of interesting arguments about abortion that I should hearken back to. I, I didn't. Uh, I, I'm going to try to go find those comments. Some some commenters. There's at least one thing well, I, I hadn't heard. I should just let Sean Gibby write my dating profile for me. That would well, be she wrote solution. it, and I can't believe. No, and I'm going to talk you into using it, man. <laughs> what? It was like. Must love dogs or something. I take back what I said about the Todd run. I didn't mean to bring that song into your consciousness. That was my bad. Now, can't unhear it. We gotta get Um, you. Okay. All right. Um, See you you in the parrot room. See ya. Okay.